Welcome back to the Jake Beckett Show podcast. I'm your host, Jake Beckett, back in the house, ready for another great episode this week. It's a topic that uh, I get requested quite a bit. Um, it'll be good for all you sports fans out there, uh, and not just for sports fans, for people who want to learn more about greatness. And yes, that topic is the New England Patriots what it's like to play for the Patriots, what it's like to be a part of the Patriot way, what it's like to to learn from some of the all-time greats like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and and just tell some stories and uh, hopefully glean some knowledge from some of the things that I learned along this journey. Um, so let's start at the beginning, what it's like to get drafted. Um, this is a story I, I get asked about quite a bit. Um, draft night was was one of my favorite memories. Um, it was a great night. I was around my family. I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, the way the NFL draft was structured at that time, I'm pretty sure um, it's still structured this way, but it was on three days. Thursday was the first round. Friday was the second and third round. And Saturday was the rest, fourth through seventh. I knew I wasn't going to be a first-round pick. Um, coming out of college, um, but I, I knew that I had a, a chance to be selected on day two. I was kind of on that bubble between day two and day three, uh, second, third, fourth, fifth round, kind of middle middle round um, was where I was projected. Uh, I knew the Patriots liked me. I found out later that um, the Vikings were going to select me in the early fourth round. They had a pick around like pick one hundred or one ten. And so the Patriots had picked 90 in the late third round, and they and they picked me. I was uh, at my parents' house in Little Rock, and uh, we were all there. And you know, it was uh, it was pretty tense. We were trying to keep it light. I think I was playing pool or ping pong with my brothers. And I remember my agent that evening. He said, "Hey, keep an eye on the Patriots at 90." I knew they liked me. They had sent one of their uh, assistant general managers down to Fayetteville. Arkansas, the University of Arkansas, to work me out prior to the draft. That's the way teams do it. They can uh, they can send personnel down to do a private workout uh, with Patriots players. I knew they liked me for a couple of reasons. Like I just I knew the workout went well, the film session went well. Um, the guy who they sent down was um, you know very very professional guy. He has since risen up the ranks uh, in professional football. You can probably determine who who that is um, just by me describing him, but. Um, you know, he came down and I remember he told me, he's like, Hey, be at the facility at noon. He, he wanted to see what time I would get there. So he arrived at like 1115 and I arrived like right as he was walking in. So I, I knew that he was impressed that I was there like 45 minutes early. That kind of got things off to a good start. Uh, but anyway, I knew that the Patriots liked me. My agent was like, Hey, um, get ready for the Patriots at 90. And I, I'll never forget. I'm sitting there watching TV and, uh, the new Orleans saints, had pick 89, and it went to pick 90. The, the New England Patriots are now on the clock. And instantly, when the Patriots went on the clock, my phone rang, and it was an unknown number. And I knew. I was like, that's that's them. Answered the phone. It was uh, uh, Coach Belichick's assistant. He was like, hold for Bill Belichick. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll hold for Bill Belichick. Bill comes on. He's like, hey, Jake, uh, you know, we're going to pick you here. Uh, you know, really excited to have you as part of the team. You know, just clap, you know, the, the, the Belichick voice. And, of course, I'm just like, yeah, hey, great coach. Looking forward to it. He passes the phone over to, to Mr. Kraft, the owner, Robert Kraft. 
And Mr. Krabs like, hey, you know, he's this grandfatherly figure. He's like, hey, Jake, um, you know, we, we hear you're really smart. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you think so, sir. He's like, well, yeah, you know, you're a finance major, right? Yeah, I was a, I was a business major at Arkansas. So, oh, you know, we, we like smart guys here. Uh, you're going to fit in well. Uh, looking forward to having you as a part of the team. And after that, it was kind of a blur. Uh, got on a plane and, and went up there to, to Boston and uh, got started on the, the Patriots journey. I mean, it was really exciting. Um, we had a great draft class that year in 2012. We had two first-round picks, Chandler Jones and Dante Hightower, who have had amazing careers. I think Hightower just retired. Um, but, you know, just some great picks up and down the draft. And it was, it was a fun class. It, we, we really bonded. I could tell stories all day on those guys. Um, but we get in there, and I'll never forget my first rookie, or the, the first full team meeting. You know, you, you do some rookie mini camps and stuff. When the whole squad gets together for that first meeting, I believe it was in May. Um, and, and first, let me back up. To, to fully explain the Patriot way, uh, you have to really understand Bill's rules of the team. And I mean, they weren't formal rules, but they were up on a poster um, or a sign as you walked into the facility. There was a player's parking lot and a player's entrance, and there was a door. And there was a sign on the uh, on the door as you were going in, and there was a sign on the door as you were going out, as you, as you were leaving the facility to go back to your car. And on the sign going in, there were four rules. When you come here, do your job, work hard, be attentive and put the team first. Do your job, work hard, be attentive, put the team first. And when you left, there were four rules. Ignore the noise. Don't believe or fuel the hype. Speak for yourself. Manage expectations. Ignore the, lo- ignore the noise. Don't believe the hype. Speak for yourself. Manage expectations. So I'll, I'll take the, those those first four rules in particular, um, you know, on the way in, tell a few stories to go along with that because I, I really think that that best encapsulates uh, the Patriot way, what it meant to be a Patriot, be a part of that amazing organization, and you know I, I think one of the reasons why it's important to talk about this is because uh, greatness is rare, especially in our world today. Just true excellence. And anytime you're around excellence, it's important to recognize it. It's important to have the humility and the perceptiveness to understand that you are a part of something or observing something that is truly awesome. And, you know, I took it upon myself to really, um, you know, soak it all in and and learn those lessons because I I knew that, you know, hey, I had a four-year NFL career, you know, at best you play 10, 11, 12 years. You know, even after a 12-year NFL career, you're still a young man. You get the rest of your life ahead of you, and I knew that um, I had a lot of life left to live after the NFL, and I wanted to to be able to take in those those bits of wisdom and take them with me to the rest of my life and pass them down to the next generation, and, th- and that's what I did. So, you know that that first that first rule: uh, do your job. You know what does that really mean? I mean, obviously, football is a team game; it's a team sport. Um, you know this. This you know bit of, of wisdom isn't always applicable to individual endeavors, but anytime you're doing something as a part of a team or part of a family, you can't focus on someone else's job, trying to do their job for them. I mean, to illustrate that, I mean, as a defensive end, right? If I'm playing left defensive end, 
And, you know, they're, you know, my job on the play, you know, whether it's a run or a pass, is going to be to either rush the passer on the edge or it's going to be to set the edge to stop the run. You know, if, if the running back tries to bounce the ball, you know, to the outside, I've got to either make the tackle or set the edge and turn him back inside. If it's a pass, I've got to rush the passer. I've got to stay in my pass rush lane. If I'm trying to do someone else's job, if I'm trying to do the job of the defensive tackle next to me, if I'm you know trying to peek into one of the interior gaps, or if I don't trust my linebackers or safeties to fill the gap behind me in the run game, you know I might make a play here and there, you know by doing their job. But what's going to happen is it's going to show up on film like, hey, this guy is not playing within his lane. He's not always doing his job. And, you know, over the course of a 17-game season, over a long career, other teams are going to see that. They're going to exploit it. You know, we saw that time and again. Guys get selfish. They don't trust the guys behind them. They start trying to do other people's job. And smart coaches like Josh McDaniels or Bill Belichick, they're going to exploit that. And, you know, there's, there's a lesson there for anything. You know, whether you're in a military unit or a family or a profession, you know, you've got to do your job. You know, if, as that left defensive end, you know, if they run the ball to the right, you know, if they run a toss sweep and go 80 yards for a touchdown to the right, you know, that's, you know, that sucks, but that's not necessarily my job. You know, I've got to do my job and trust that the other 10 guys around me are going to do theirs. Um, you know, and that's, that's the story of the game of football. That's, that's the story of the game of life. I mean, control what you can control, you know, just on, on every play, every time you put your hand in the dirt, every day when you wake up and your feet hit the ground, do your job, whatever that is. And, you know, if you if you put those blinders on, it doesn't mean ignore everyone else. It doesn't mean just like keep to yourself and only worry about you. It just means when it comes time to do what you're paid to do, what God calls you to do in your family, in your household, in your church, whatever it is, you do your job. And, you know, that's just a great lesson. Um, and that was the number one rule of the Patriots, do your job. Uh, it's, it's, you know, Bill thought so, so highly of that, that he got it engraved on our Super Bowl ring in, in 2014, Super Bowl 49, you know, right there under the, uh, kind of on the, on the interior of the, um, of the, of the loop there. It's do your job. It's engraved there forever. Number two, work hard. Well, actually I'll, I'll, I'll skip work hard. Uh, be attentive. I'll go to be attentive first. So be attentive. I told the story on a previous podcast about Tom Brady. Um, you know, I'll tell it again because it's, it really is indicative of what it means to be attentive. Um, in one of our first team meetings, I think it was actually the first team meeting that I was a part of as a rookie where the whole squad was there. Um, you know, Tom Brady sitting there front and center and, and, you know, believe me, even, you know, among guys who have played with him for a long time, you know, Tom walks into a room and like, you still think to yourself like, man, that's Tom Brady. And, you know, Tom always sat front row center. I don't know where other quarterbacks sat in their team meeting rooms and other teams, but on the Patriots, Tom Brady, the leader of the team, the quarterback, QB1, sat front row center. Um, and as soon as he sat down, he opened up his notebook. And this is the first meeting of the year. It's kind of a nothing meeting, um, you know, kind of a recap. The The Patriots had, had lost the Super Bowl the year before I got there, and Bill was kind of going over his expectations for the team, you know, what happened in the – Super Bowl the previous year, you know, really fascinating stuff to me, but Tom had probably heard that same speech 20 times before, but there he is, front row center, he's sitting up in his chair, he's got his notebook out, and he's just furiously scribbling notes as fast as he can, gleaning every bit of information that he could from Coach Belichick, and, you know, that really, 
it made an impression on me as a rookie. I'm like, man, if if Tom is sitting there um, trying to get every bit of wisdom out of Bill in this meeting in May of 2012, you know, if he's doing that, then what should I be doing? You know, I should be getting to the facility earlier than him. I should be leaving later. I should be outworking everybody in that building. And that's what I tried to do every single day I was there. And Tom really set the tone. It started with him. Every player, I, I know for a fact, one of the reasons why he sat front row center was so everyone in that room saw him and they saw the way he handled his business and they saw the professionalism with which he carried himself. And that set the tone for the rest of the guys. And, you know, Tom deserves a ton of credit for, you know, the, the, the outstanding nature and the long-term excellence of the Patriots. And, you know, he was a huge part of the Patriot way. So number three, work hard. The Patriots were kind of famous or infamous among other teams in the league for how hard the team worked and practiced and the hours that we spent. I mean, we had guys coming in, you know, in the NFL, it's kind of different than high school or college. Like the roster changes pretty much every week. You know, you have guys who get cut, traded, retire, whatever it is. And, you know, you had the same core of the team throughout most of the season. But, you know, the, the, there's like 20 roster spots that really experience a lot of turnover. And I'll never forget, I mean, we had like guys who had been former number one overall picks like Robert Gallery, um, you know, future Hall of Famers like Reggie Wayne, um, guys like Kellen Winslow coming in from other teams. And they're just like, man, like, I cannot believe how hard y'all are working. I mean, it was just, it was, it was insane to them. They had spent so many years in other organizations and they just couldn't believe how Bill, you know, kind of ran the show and how just brutal uh, practices were and just how intense every single day was at Patriot Place. Um, and I mean, I, you know, Robert Gallery, you know, he was a guy, and I'm not picking on him, but like, you know, he came in, he had a long career before that. And, you know, he, he was in training camp and, you know, we just had brutal training camp practices there. And, um, you know, there was this, uh, in one of the first full pads practices, Vince Wilfork. I mean, we, it was a, it, it was a one-on-one pass, pass drill, uh, gallery was in pass pro Vince was rushing and V hit him with this like hump move that sent gallery flying through the air. I mean, we must've re-round the clip like 50 times. I mean, gallery's like six, eight, three fifty, and Vince tossed him like a Frisbee. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. And literally that day after practice, Gallery went to Bill and retired. He, he was just like, man, like y'all are working really hard. Uh, you know, I've kind of lost a step, obviously. Like I'm, you know, coach, I'm going to hang it up. And, you know, Bill the next morning was like, hey, you know, he, he always updated the team at the 730 squad meeting. Like, hey, um, you know, roster moves, uh, Robert Gallery retired. And like all the defensive line guys, like we kind of chuckled like, man, we knew what happened. Probably when he was midair, uh, when he was decleated and flying through the air, he probably decided, man, it's, it's time to hang it up. Um, you know, another guy, Reggie Wayne. I mean, Reggie Wayne came to the Patriots. It was like my second or third year. And, you know, he was this guy coming from the Colts. I mean, this is like Reggie Wayne. It was, you know, he was towards the tail end of his career. But, you know, he got a lot of hype when he came over and, you know, media was interested. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a big deal when Reggie came to the team and, like after four or five days, I mean, it, it may have been like a week. He went to Bill and was like, "Hey, I'm coach. I'm done. You know, I'm, this isn't for me. Um, you know, I, I'm not trying to work this hard. Not trying to do this for the, at the end of my career." And I mean, like, I, I'm not you know casting aspersions. I'm not throwing shade at Reggie Wayne. I'm just saying, like, you know, the Patriots did things 
a little bit differently. Same with Winslow. You know, same kind of a situation. I think he actually played for a portion of the year. But it was kind of the same story. I mean, guys, they spent a lot of years with different organizations that, you know, they were in the facility at 8.30. They were gone by noon. You know, a lot of NFL teams are run like that. And you see the same – that's kind of the reason why you see the same teams kind of at the top every year. And you see the same teams at the bottom every year. You know, a lot of that is ownership. Um, but a lot of that is just kind of team culture. Um, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, a really bad culture is hard to eradicate. It's like a virus. Um, you know, we can talk more about that later. Um, you know, so that was, that, that's probably, a, probably the best way to illustrate how hard the Patriots worked. And that's why, you know, work hard was, um, you know, one of Bill's, one of Bill's rules. And the fourth one, and the fourth rule as you walked in there through the player's entrance was put the team first. And, you know, that's, you know, Bill always defined that as doing what's best for the team when it's not necessarily the best thing for you. Now, that might be somewhat hypocritical, um, you know, coming from a coach. You know, it's easy, it's easy for him or, you know, because Bill's also the general manager of the team. He, he had total, total control over the roster. It'd be easy for him to say, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, money and, and contract negotiations. But I, I think really what he meant was in terms of attitude. Um, you know, just doing what was best for the team, even when it wasn't what was best for you as an individual player or a person. Just making those sacrifices, doing the things that other teams and other players weren't willing to do. And, you know, you got to give props again to Tom Brady um, because he really, throughout his entire career, he put the team first. And in one specific way that I think is pretty underrated is in the way that he structured his contracts. Tom Brady played for way sub-market value contracts for the entirety of his career. You can look it up. I mean, Tom was playing for really about a third of what his market value was, and that was huge for the organization because, you know, we could spend that money under the salary cap for other players, and and Tom was totally on board. I mean, he was willing to take a pay cut. I mean, yes, he was married to someone who was also extremely wealthy, so it wasn't like Tom was missing any meals, but, you know, it really helped the team. And you look across the league – um, you know, that's a common thread. You see a QB who gets a big deal. I remember like Joe Flacco with the Ravens and Drew Brees. I mean, these guys are playing for $30, $35 million a year, and that's killing the team uh, in the salary cap. And, you know, there's a whole, there's a different discussion there, you know, about the salary cap and, um, you know, whether players in the interest of other players should be trying to, you know, force owners to lift the cap or make it a soft cap. That's a different debate. Um, you know, I had those battles with the Players Association. It's a different discussion, but what I'm saying is in terms of just doing what's best for the Patriots, Tom Brady always, always did what was best for the team in terms of the way he structured his contracts and playing for, I mean, he was the, he's the greatest quarterback of all time, and, you know, he was playing for, for relative peanuts. And it's also a trend for all you guys who are trying to handicap future NFL seasons. Look for NFL teams who have a great quarterback who is still on his rookie deal. Those are the teams you should be betting on because, look, it's really hard for teams once the, once their franchise quarterback gets his big second contract and he's making that $30, $35, 40000000 million a year contract, it's hard for the team to afford the pieces around them. I mean, obviously, Mahomes is kind of an exception in Kansas City, um, but it's going to be tough for them. They've already had to, to jettison some talent uh, in order to pay for his big deal. Um, you know, I've referenced some other guys like with the Ravens and the Saints and the other teams. Um, and other good examples are like the Eagles from this past year. Jalen Hurts is still in his rookie deal, so he's not getting paid that much. They can afford other talent around him. Um, you know, the same thing was true 
Um, you know, with Lamar Jackson on his rookie deal, the same thing was true with Josh Allen on his rookie deal with the Bills. Um, back in my era, it was Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. I mean, Russ was like a third or fourth round pick. He was playing for nothing. Um, so they could afford to pay a bunch of other guys around him. Cam Newton with the Panthers. There's a trend going on there, guys. So look out for teams with a QB who's still on a rookie contract. That's a huge advantage um, that really evaporates once that guy has to get paid. So, you know, another thing that I get asked about quite a bit with the Patriots is um, a couple guys um, who were both tight ends with the Patriots, Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. You know, Gronk was a huge reason for the Patriots' success. He was a guy who I think is, you know, one of the most underrated players um, in terms of uh, the Patriot, the, the, the Patriots organization. I mean, really one of the most underrated players in NFL history. I mean, Gronk was the engine of our offense. I mean, he he was an absolute beast. I mean, I'm telling you, he was the greatest tight end of all time. He was the it, he was simultaneously the best blocking tight end in the NFL. I mean, he was a mauler as a blocker, trust me. And he was also the best receiving tight end in the league at the same time. I mean, that, that's like literally unheard of. You see receiving tight ends like Antonio Gates who can't block. You see blocking tight ends, um, you know, who are basically like an offensive lineman but they can't catch a pass or can't run. Gronk was literally, he was the best blocker and the best receiver at the same time. I mean, he was an absolute freak. And people ask me what Gronk is like. I mean, like, he's literally exactly how you imagine that he is. Um, you know, he wants to play football and party, and he's really good at both of them. You know, during the off-seasons, um, you know, we had these key fobs. Every play Patriots player had a key fob that gave them 24-7 access to the facility. A lot of guys used it during the offseason. Um, you know, I, I would love to go up there late at night, um, early in the morning, get a workout in, get in the hot tub, steam room, whatever. Um, you know, Gronk, you know, used it as well. So, like, he, during the offseason, I'm not, he probably wouldn't do this during the season, but I know he was doing this, like, during the offseason sometimes. He would go out all night in Boston or Providence, and, you know, he would have his boys, like, drop him off at, at, the, at Gillette Stadium at like three or three thirty in the morning. And he would be like out in his, like, you know, going out clothes. He would fob into the facility. He would go into the training room and he would just pass out on the train table. The trainers would come in at like five thirty six in the morning and they see Gronk there just like asleep on the train table. And they would, they would roll up his sleeves and put an IV at him to just revive him. And, you know, over the course of a couple hours, he would wake up and just like come back to life and, you know, when I realized that, you know, there's a, there's a thing called talent and, you know, people have a ceiling um, on their talent. And I realized that my ceiling was a little bit lower than Gronk's when, you know, I saw stuff like that happening and he would like get his IV after like two hours of sleep and would go out and just like dominate and practice. And you now here's me getting like eight hours of sleep a night, working out twice a day, doing everything right. And I go in there and like, you know, I'm still, I'm fighting for a roster spot. So, you know, it's humbling, you know, to, to see, Guys like that, but I mean, it's it really was amazing to be to be teammates with with someone like Gronk, who was just so incredibly talented and was just versatile and drew so much attention um, from every defense. I mean, you could see when he was healthy, he was literally. I mean, he was unstoppable. And I mean, the defenses had no answer for him. He was he was too fast and quick and tall for the linebackers. And if you put a safety on him, he would just bully those dudes around. Uh, throw him around, bump off of him. I mean, they really teams have to double cover him. And, you know, that was just freeing up other guys. So guys like Wes Welker and Julian Edelman, were, they always had single covers in the slot. And, you know, when Gronk was healthy, our team was really unbeatable. 
Um, the offense was unstoppable at least. But you know, the other guys, Hernandez, um, you know, people ask me quite a bit about Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, we were teammates for about a year and a half. Um, you know, the whole uh, – well, I mean, I guess like the murders were happening um, from like 2012 on, but the, the murder he was arrested for took place in the, the offseason before my second year in the summer of 2013. I was actually locker neighbors. I was right next door to Aaron Hernandez. Like, guys called him Chico. And, you know, he was – he was a loner, you know, he had, he had a crew down in Providence, like guys that he grew up with that we knew that he was hanging out with. Um, you know, he was like, like you never, the, the way that I tell the story is this, like you never suspect that one of your teammates is out there murdering people. I mean, no one expects that. Um, if someone said they knew, knew about that, they were lying. But I'm telling you, if someone came into the locker room and said, Hey, you know, one amongst you is a murderer. Uh, let's take a vote to see who it is you know, Hernandez would have won the vote overwhelmingly. Like there was just, there was something wrong with him. He had a hair trigger temper, um, you know, and, and when all that was going down, it was, it was kind of surreal. It was, it was during an interval between uh, summer mini camp and the start of training camp. I was out of town and I was just, I was watching on TV. I was out in Wyoming with my family watching on TV as, you know, they had the choppers over his house um, in Alaboro and, you know, him drive into the facility and, you know, he, he parked his car at, at Patriot Place when he tried to go in there. He parked his car next to mine. It was just like weird, crazy stuff. And, um, you know, this has been well documented in some of the Netflix documentaries that are out there. Um, you know, just, just a, a really insane, unexpected twist in our, in our organization. But, you know, it's a testament to the Patriots and the Patriot way that we were able to, to block that out and, um, you know, focus and, not really let that become an even bigger distraction. I mean, you know, one of his trials was taking place as we were making a Super Bowl run. So, you know, just, you know, it really is a testament to to the organization that, um, you know, that the team was able to overcome all that. But, yeah, pre- pretty wild stuff. Um, you know, I'm pretty lucky that I wasn't murdered, um, you know, when I come to think about it, just being being next to him for a year, year and a half, and him not suspecting that I was looking over his shoulder or, disrespecting him. I mean, like we just, we never really talked. I mean, it was just, I would like try to make small talk with him sometimes, but I mean, really, I just, you know, didn't really interact with him that much, even though he was right next to me. Um, so moving on. So to the, the, the four rules for the team, um, you know, as you, as you leave here is what the sign read, ignore the noise, don't believe or fuel the hype, speak for yourself and manage expectations. Um, you know, I'll, I'll touch on, on one of those, you know, speak for yourself. Coach Belichick was always, he was adamant. Um, you know, he he was really kind of ahead of his time in dealing with the fake news media. Um, you know, he coached us constantly about how to anticipate questions from the press, how to head off narratives. I mean, as a young kid coming from college, you know, the, the, the college media, you know, because college uh, players are still student athletes, and at least back in the pre-NIL days, you weren't really getting paid. Um, you know, you were just on scholarship, and you know the, the media was pretty friendly, and they wouldn't criticize you. But that that really changes, um, you know, when you go to the league, and and the media, especially the Boston media, is really tough, and they try to set you up. And and really, that you know, I, I kind of got a, a master class in, in 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 you know the true nature of the media from Bill Belichick. I mean, he was the one who taught me that. You know, the journalists, like, they don't, they're like lawyers. They don't ask questions 
that they don't already know the answer to. They've already got the story written in their head or you know, probably already on their computer. And they just go to the players or the coaches just to get the quotes for it. They ask you leading questions. They, they try to like, kind of lure you into these traps and cul-de-sacs. Um, and so you've really got to be on your toes. And you know, I really credit Coach Belichick with teaching me about the nature of the media. And another you know, thing about Belichick, I mean, he's a real patriot. Um, I don't just mean that, you know, as a pun, like he, you know, his dad was a coach at the Naval Academy. Um, you know, Bill is a, a strong supporter of the military. Uh, I, I really couldn't even tell you much about his politics, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I suspect that he has some conservative leanings, but he really never, he never talked much about politics. I mean, he was just, um, you know, all, all business, you know, football is really his, that's his passion. That's what he cares about. You know, he's a junkie. He was telling stories about how him and, his old friend Ernie Adams, who's also a part of the organization, um, you know what they used to do as kids. Like instead of like, you know, playing ball or you know going down the street or you know doing whatever kids do, they would sneak into high school pr practices, football practices, and scout the players to like practice scouting. Like th that's how into football Bill Belichick is. And um, you know, he would bring in, um, you know, other great luminaries like Tony La Russa. He would bring in admirals and, and military figures. Uh, Roger Staubach, who was a former former Naval Academy, uh, you know, football player and obviously Dallas Cowboys great. Um, Admiral Stufflebeam. Um, just some really, and we, we had a, I'll finish up with, with this story at the end. Um, you know, he also brought in a, uh, you know, a former SEAL guy, uh, Navy SEAL. Uh, part of the teams, um, you know, a really hardcore operator who was a childhood friend of our defensive coordinator at the time, Matt Patricia, and he had a big, big influence on my life as well. Um, but, you know, those are, those are the eight rules of the Patriots. And, you know, I think those, those rules are, are ap applicable in really any circumstance. Um, you know, do your job, work hard, be attentive, put the team first, Ignore the noise, don't believe or fuel the hype, speak for yourself, and manage expectations. Um, you know, there's a reason why the Patriots have had success year in, year out. I will tell uh, a couple of stories about the Super Bowl. Um, you know, it's, you know, I, I, was, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the, of the Super Bowl winning team, Super Bowl 49, um, you know, the, the Seahawks game. Everyone remembers the the famous Malcolm Butler interception in the end zone. I mean, I'll never forget it either. I mean, they're driving down the field. Um, you know, it seems like a pretty tough situation. Dante Hightower makes an incredible – his play that probably doesn't get the, the credit it deserves. Uh, Hightower made an incredible tackle on Marshawn Lynch on first and goal to get him down at the one-yard line. But still, we were thinking, hey, there's a minute to go. Um, you know, they're going to give it to Lynch a couple more times, and they'll be in the end zone. This, this this sucker's over. And they lined up in that famous shotgun formation. And we knew, I mean, this is the Patriot way. Um, you know, we've been working on this in practice. We knew that, um, you know, if they were ever on the goal line and they lined up in this shotgun formation, they were going to run this little pick play, um, you know, where the, the slot receiver – tries to set a pick for the outside guy and the outside guy loops in on a little screen. It's a, it's a route, you know, combination that, that a lot of NFL teams do, but not really in that situation, not really on the one yard line. Um, and you know, to, it's just the, the, the genius of bill to let that situation play out. He, uh, he didn't call timeout. He let the Seahawks kind of, kind of just go with their substitutions and line up in that formation 
And you know, credit to Malcolm Butler because he was a he was a, he wasn't supposed to be in the game at that point. Uh, Kyle Arrington was the normal nickel corner, uh, the third corner. Uh, Kyle was really struggling in the game, and so they put in Malcolm, who was an undrafted rookie. He was my other locker neighbor for the entire season. I mean, Malcolm was great, man. Like he was just, you know, just a, a down home guy from Mississippi, like just country. You know, didn't say two words the entire year, but just had a great like attitude. And when he was called upon, when he was needed most, you know, he did his job. And he, he you know, Brandon Browner uh, made a great job stopping the pick, and then Malcolm slit the screen and made the play of his life. And, you know, we were just laughing about it on the sideline. Can't believe they didn't hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch. To this day, I still can't believe they didn't hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch, but I'm sure glad they didn't. Um, and, you know, after the game, like, People might think that, you know, you're just partying the, the entire time after the game. You know, there is a, a Super Bowl party, um, you know, for, for both teams after the game. Um, and honestly, like, it was pretty subdued. I mean, we were just, we were so exhausted. And, like, guys were just, we were in shock. I mean, everyone was, like, we were happy, obviously. But guys were just, we were totally in shock um, about how the game ended. Like we knew that was, that was a, a Super Bowl for the, for the history books. Um, just an incredible, incredible game. And I mean, I'm just so blessed that I was just a very, very small part of that, um, that team in that year. And, you know, it was just really amazing, um, just to be, to be a part of that and just to see it up close. Um, you know, Gronk, he, um, you know, obviously like, you know, there were, there were, I mean, I, I could tell, I could do a whole other podcast on Gronk stories. I'll, I'll tell you one more. So we were, we played a game, we played a game in London, my rookie year. This is 2012. We go over to London and um, we spend four or five days over there during the week. It was awesome. We played the St. Louis Rams. They were, they were still in St. Louis at the time. And we, we just beat them like a drum. And, you know, it was funny that we, we came back to the hotel and, and coach Belichick was like, all right, um, you know, the buses leave for Heathrow Airport at 6 a.m. I don't care what you do between now and 6 a.m., but you just better be down here ready to go at 6 a.m. And so we, we took that for kind of the opening that it plainly was, um, you know, just to go out and have fun. It was around Halloween. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget it. It was around Halloween in London, and we go to this bar, Whiskey Mist, and, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a Halloween party. You know, we were the only, we were the only ones not dressed up, you know, we're this, these just like huge American guys walking in with no costumes. And, you know, of course, like Gronk takes his shirt off immediately. Um, you know, everyone's kind of going crazy. Um, we make it back to the bus. I'm pretty sure Gronk didn't put his shirt back on until we touched down back in Massachusetts, but that was a, that was a pretty fun, pretty fun road trip. Um, you know, I might have to do a, you know, just a full Patriot Stories podcast. But um, you know, there's some, there's some great stuff there. And you know, really, like, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with a couple of things. Number one, a question I get asked a lot is, um, you know, what's, who's the real, who's, who was the real reason for the Patriot success? Was it Brady? Was it Belichick? I mean, I, I don't want to. This isn't a cop out, but it really is fifty fifty. I mean. Um, typically I would say in the, the most important person in the program in a college football team is the head football coach and in pro football, it's the starting quarterback. 
I'll I'll bring Bill up to 50-50 in the pro situation because Bill was also the general manager. He still is the general manager. He controls personnel for the Patriots. So, you know, he was obviously a genius in on-field coaching, but also as a general manager. I mean, he was dual-hatted, um, but still did an amazing job. But, you know, you, you've got to give Brady so much of the credit as well. He really proved uh, his worthiness by winning another Super Bowl in Tampa after, I mean, just like, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like, like leaving New England and going down to Tampa and winning a Super Bowl with Gronk, I might add. You can't forget Gronk. Um, but I mean, just the, the greatness of those people is truly unmatched. And um, as I said before, when you're in the presence of excellence, you better recognize it and you better learn from it. And, um, you know, one, one person I mentioned in briefly earlier, uh, th- this. This former Navy SEAL uh, who became a, a pretty good friend of mine up there, I found myself always talking to him. He was with us. He was like he would work with us in the off seasons on hand to hand combat stuff. Levers is pretty common for defensive guys, but really, I mean, he was just he was a great leader, and um, we were always picking his brain. I mean, I was at least about leadership and his time in the SEALs, and you know, I confided in him that I, I wanted to you know I wanted to serve in the military at some point in my life, and um, you know, I wanted to play football for as long as I could. Um, you know, I, I had four great years in New England and, um, you know, but it really it was after getting to know him, I, I decided that, you know, whenever my football playing days were over, I was going to go uh, serve in the military. I didn't want to go through buds, didn't want to be a Navy SEAL. Um, you know, the Army is the dominant branch. It always will be. It's a different story. Um, but, you know, I really was influenced very heavily, um, you know, by my experiences with him and with the Patriots organization, and it truly was an amazing blessing to be a part of the team, to be a Patriot, uh, to learn the Patriot way. And I hope you enjoyed uh, this breakdown on the Patriots, the Patriot way, um, and that amazing dynasty that is still going. So until next time, God bless, and we'll see you soon.